Hello, my name's Wendy and I'm going to bring the Bible reading to you now. And it's from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. And you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,222. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature, from that nature will, will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thank you, uh, Wendy, for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning. Let's come to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us to submit ourselves to this word. We pray that the Spirit of God will take this word and apply it to our hearts and lives. I pray for myself, Lord, please forgive me my sins. Thank you for the privilege and honor of sharing this word. May our hearts be encouraged this morning together as we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning our text is, um, is Galatians 6, verses 6 through to 10, where Paul speaks of one of the most important principles in life, which is that of reaping what you sow. If you are visiting here with us this morning, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Galatians, and we are coming to the concluding part of our book, uh, hopefully by next, by next week, so which will be, yeah, will be good. And then we'll start a mini-series on uh, the five solas as we come into the month of October and the Great Reformation as well. As we know too well that the choices we make in life have consequences for us. Wise choices means good consequences. Unwise or poor choices have bad consequences. Who we are today is a result of numerous factors that have come into play in our lives with the choices we have made. Actions have consequences, and we have to bear responsibility for our own behavior, and so we reap what we sow. Last weekend, we had a great church camp, and one morning, I sat for breakfast 
with Stephen Moody. Stephen is here. I've got his permission to share this with you. I had my porridge, unlike some people who love bacon and eggs. I enjoy my porridge. And I got my toast. And now if you know me, I love a lot of butter. I even make butter biscuit sandwiches for afternoon tea. Try it, it's great. And so what I did is I plastered my toast with heaps of butter. You know, those little cube things, like one whole thing on one slice of bread. Fantastic. My Vegemite on top of that. But then I looked at Stephen, who was just having a glance at what I was doing. And I thought to myself, this is not looking good. Stephen's a GP. <laughs> He's looking at my toast. I felt, man, that's not good. What do I do with all that butter? So I just kind of scraped the butter off of the toast, <laughs> put it on another toast and left it there. You know why I did that? Because he knows I've got a cholesterol problem. We talk about this. It's no good if you have a cholesterol problem to eat too much butter. So to clear my conscience, I scraped all the butter and just came back to the bare toast. And then the funny part was, I asked Stephen yesterday, were you looking at my bread when I was buttering it? He said, no, Chris, I didn't. <laughs> anyway, the point is this, isn't it? If you've got heart problems, you eat, eat too much butter, and why can't we eat butter, friends? Why can't we eat the good things in life and not have any problems with our arteries? I don't know why I'll ask God that one day. You see, friends, if you, there are consequences, right? As in anything in life, you reap what you sow. If, for example, you've not studied hard for an exam, then it will show in your results. If you've not worked hard on your assignments, someone said to me this morning, I've had a very stressful week. I had four assignments to give in this past week. I'm stressed out, but now I'm okay. It will show in our grades. And so this morning, I've titled the message, You Reap What You Sow. Galatians chapter 6, 6 to 10. And so in this passage, we see clearly, Sowing and sharing. Let, look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What is Paul on about here in this text? To teach is to instruct, to inform. That's the Greek word that is being used here. To inform by word of mouth or to be orally informed. It means to be catechized, to be taught by an instructor. It seems that this verse looks almost disconnected from what is said before this verse and what follows. How does it actually fit in here? It is very possible, friends, that there must have been some reluctance on the part of the Galatians to support their local pastors. And so there is a mutual sharing that is taking place here. The instructor is teaching the word of God and the receiver is instructed in the word of God to do something in return. The receiver is to share all good things with the instructor. Now, whether this instruction is in a church setting or in some other setting, the principle, I, I believe, that we see here is that those who are taught the word are to support the teacher. It is a partnership that we have here. The original word here means to come into communion or to fellowship, to become a sharer, to be made a partner, to enter into fellowship. 
And so whilst this word sharing can be in many ways such as encouragement in the gospel and so forth, but the primary focus here is, I think, financial support. Jesus said that the laborer is worthy of his wages. In 1 Timothy, we read this. The Apostle Paul said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture does mention, thus says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer therefore deserves his wages. So Paul is saying that the church, that is God's people, are to be supporting gospel workers financially. You should be supporting your pastors. Now this is hard to speak, isn't it? You should be financially giving so that John and myself will be like, will be well established. You are doing a great job. I mean, thank God for that, right? Because pastors don't want to talk about their salaries. That's like pushing a hard thing from the frontier, right? But you have to do that. We want to support um, Andrew in gospel ministry. You need money. to. Uh, people have left their careers and come into ministry. Uh, they've given up what they could have earned perhaps double and come in into ministry because they want to serve, serve Christ. So Paul is saying that the church, that is God's people, are to be supporting gospel workers financially. So, so let me encourage you this morning to give financially so that we can support the preaching and teaching ministry of our church. And so let us be thankful that we have, by God's grace, the opportunity to do that, to teach the word of God for the first mark of the church is that, that the reformers recognized was the preaching of the word of God. And if a church is not committed to the teaching of the word of God, then it is a church only by name. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, you pray for your preachers, pray for your pastors, that they would proclaim the word of God, and that you as a congregation, that we together will be grounded on the scriptures, yes? This is why this pulpit, I mean, I'm standing higher, higher than that stage. The pulpit becomes the center in our churches because from here, the word of God is proclaimed and it should be preached and shared faithfully and diligently every time it is opened. And in our ministries, in our growth groups, in our settings, in our youth groups, in our, wherever ministry takes place, that the word of God becomes the center of it. And then look at verse 7. Sowing to the flesh or to the spirit. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Paul is using an agricultural image of farming to make this point. This is the principle of gardening or farming. If you sow tomato seeds, you will not get mangoes. Even though that would be a miracle, isn't it? To have mangoes. You like mangoes? Anyone? Of course. So, that's the point, right? The principle is if you sow tomatoes, 
tomato seeds, you will not get mangoes. A tiny acorn becomes a mighty oak tree, which produces thousands of acorns over its life. And so also a word, a deed, or choice may seem small, but it can result in a massive harvest. You reap more than you sow. Seeds are small, but they turn into large trees. We may think a tiny word or deed is insignificant, but it always multiplies and grows into a large consequence. There is a harvest cycle that is true in life as well as in agriculture. And so, friends, like someone said, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. So when you plant a seed, it doesn't pop out of the ground immediately, does it? It takes time. It takes time for a seed to grow into a plant. It takes patience to be a good farmer. It takes patience to plant a seed and to see and to water it and to see that the seed starts to grow. You've got to wait for the harvest. And so we see here, it is not reaping that in the end which determines the harvest, it is the sowing. And we reap what we sow, and the principle is true morally and spiritually, just like it is agriculturally. Jesus said this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. That's the point, isn't it? Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. You pick the same thing you plant. Now this does not mean, friends, that as you look at this passage here, that God is really, is never mocked. We see that in the text here as well. I'll come to that in a moment. The point is, what we plant, what we sow, is what we reap. Now look at verse 8. I'll come back to the other part of verse 7 later. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So Paul moves from support to those teaching the word of God to the theme of the flesh and the spirit. The Bible says that we can be engaged in only two kinds of sowing. Sowing in the sinful nature or sowing in the spirit. And that's what we see in our text here this morning. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. Have a look at that, what we have in our text. The word destruction means corruption. It means perishing. It's a subject of corruption. Sin proves to be destructive in the end. And what are the things of the flesh? If you look at Galatians chapter 5, we have these words, verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the list goes on. The things of the flesh. You see, living a life for the sinful nature, it might give us pleasure for a while. 
Sin gives us pleasure for a while. The world says, come, enjoy. It's a chasing after the wind, is it not? The book of Ecclesiastes mentions that. And so if we are sowing in the flesh, it might give pleasure for a while. But in the end, the consequences are disastrous and empty. How do you find satisfaction, friends, in our lives today? Is it from satisfying the sinful desires of my heart, sowing to my sinful nature? And I can sow a lot to my sinful nature, can't we? We are in our default position. We can go back to that very easily, yes? It doesn't take much to get back into our sinful nature, to keep sowing in our sinful nature. But the consequences can be disastrous. You see, it is living a life chasing after the wind. And so life sowing to please the flesh can be destructive. For example, I'll give you an example of husband and wife. Think about a husband and wife who are resentful to each other in their marriage. Have a think about that for a moment. They continue on in their own selfish way without resolving their resentment. In doing so, they are continuously sowing resentment. And as time goes on, they reap what they sow. Bitterness, anger, unhappiness, destruction. And those of us who are married, we know the challenges, right? We face and how quickly we can build resentment. And if that continues on and on and you're sowing that in your marriage, what kind of marriage is it? What kind of marriage is that? Think about our country, for example. It would be correct to say that as a nation, we are drifting further away from anything Christian. Christianity has been marginalized in the Western world. Today we live in a time when there is so much, so much gender fluidity and confusion in the West in particular about human sexuality. Just this past week I read this article titled Cross-Dressing Boy, six, six Years of Age, Divides British School Community. It says this, it was in the Australian newspaper, Three years after England, Wales and Scotland legalized same-sex marriage and just months after sex education become, became mandatory at school, a row was unfolded over whether a six-year-old boy should be allowed to wear a dress to primary school. The boy who attends the Church of England school on the Isle of Wight wanted to identify as a girl. Now, I'm not making a judgment there, but you can see what is happening. In our own nation, we are facing some real challenges, are we not at the moment? John Anderson, the former Deputy Prime Minister, writing in the Spectator magazine on 15 September, an excellent article, actually, it's an excellent read. He wrote the article titled, Freedom is at Stake. And he speaks about the threat, and he identifies three things in Australia. The, freedom, the threat to the freedom of speech. If today we say anything about 
same-sex marriage or whatever, or being called bigots and homophobics and everything else, so free speech has been just silenced. Freedom of association. Any association with anything that is Christian or a view that we may have can be a real problem. And the freedom of religion. Three major things that can affect our nation. Should we not be burdened for our country? What kind of country and world are we going to leave for our children and our grandchildren? Some of us have, we actually have grandchildren now. <laughs> what are we going to do? Where will they be spending time? How will they live their lives in this world and in our nation? You see, the book of Proverbs tells us this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What will be, what will be tomorrow is based on the choices we make today. And if we continue to keep God out of our public life, I wonder what kind of an harvest our children and grandchildren will reap right here in Australia. Do you see that? Is that an issue for you, friends? Are you praying for our country? Yes? Are you praying for the work of the Spirit of God in Australia? Please, pray. Pray for our politicians. Pray for our nation. Pray for the gospel of Christ to be proclaimed outside of the four walls of our church. Because we want to see Christ honored. We want to see lives changed. We want to see policies be made in our country that will have a great rich harvest for the good of mankind. So what we will be tomorrow is based upon the choices we make today. If we continue to follow our own ways, we will certainly reap what we sow as a nation. John Stott, the well-known scholar, he puts it this way. To sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cuddle and stroke it, instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. See, friends, that's the challenge, isn't it? What are we sowing today in our lives? And even as Christians, when we sow to the flesh, the sinful nature, and, and all the time as we keep sowing to the flesh, we will miss out on the joy of our salvation. We will miss out on the freedom that we have in Christ. And if as Christians we sow to the flesh, we are going to reap a corrupted Christian life. And I tell you, that is not easy. And that's why we need the brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us in our Christian journey. I think of our young people today. On our phones, we can access anything, can't we? We have it right there in front of us. 
social media. Everything is at our fingertips as it were today. And what a challenge it is for you and for me. You see, friends, this means as we sow to the flesh, we'll lose on the joys and the blessings of living our lives for Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, your whole life is sowing to the flesh and you're going to reap, as the text says here, eternal death and separation from God himself. Notice the warning in verse 7. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived, Paul says to the Galatians. You see, some of them have followed their false teachers. Don't be deceived because God cannot be mocked. The word mocked there in the original means to turn up the, the nose to God, to sneer at God, to deride God. Friends, we see that, don't we? All the time. Deriding God, mocking God. Who cares about God? We don't believe in a God. God cannot be mocked. See, you can't live in sin and just thumb our noses at God and think we're going to get away with it. It's just not harvest time yet. But one day it will come. And we can't go on fooling God. Romans chapter 1, the passage we read in our first reading this morning, tells us that the wrath of God against sin has been revealed from him. And as we keep on mocking God, as we keep on pushing God, as we keep on deriding God, and we mock at him, and thumb our noses to him, the wrath of God has been revealed. And we are sowing, but we will reap. What's the challenge for us, isn't it? We cannot, God cannot be mocked. Let me give you very quickly two Bible illustrations about this. Remember Goliath and David? David and Goliath and the Philistine said to David, you know, when, when, when David came along, this great giant of a man, David and Goliath, what did Goliath say when he saw David coming along? Am I a dog? <laughs> that you come into me like this? You small guy. And what did David say? I'm coming to you in the name of our God, my God. And Goliath met his justice that day. Remember Herod in Acts chapter 12? Herod mocked God's glory. And as he did this, he was eaten by worms and died. You see, ultimately God's judgment will come comprehensively one day when Christ returns. So don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And then, as we see this text here, whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What a blessing, friends, that is. What a blessing. Look at that. What a blessing, eternal life as opposed to eternal death. And so how, you might ask me this morning, how can we sow to please the Spirit? Let me give you some examples of how we can do that. One is by setting our minds on the Spirit, Romans chapter 8. Secondly, by walking in the Spirit, Galatians. Thirdly, by keeping in step with the Spirit. Fourthly, by being Spirit-filled lives. We heard that at the camp. 
Those are challenging messages that we've been discussing it at home. What does it mean to live under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, when the Spirit of God brings conversion to us, He brings us, He brings us into salvation. Let me give you very quickly the whole, uh, how this all happens. There is the work of the Spirit that brings us into faith, regeneration. There's the work of the Spirit who is who indwells us, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's the work of the Spirit that guarantees our eternity. There's the work of the Spirit who is our comforter. There's the work of the Spirit who walks alongside us. And there's the work of the Spirit who brings the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Are you living a Spirit-filled life? Or have you forgotten the Holy Spirit? Have you forgotten the Holy Spirit? Have you? We are missing friends. The power of God working through us through the Holy Spirit. Now let's let's give you an illustration. For example, we have all these the great big amplifier set there, right? You hear the bass boom 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 boom. Or whatever is played on that. Now that is plugged in to that PowerPoint somewhere, right? You take the PowerPoint out of that, pull the plug out, and you can connect everything to it. Will it do anything? Nothing. Because it's not connected to the source of power. And the Holy Spirit is powerful. And so to live a spirit-filled life means, my dear friends, I asked myself the question this past week, what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? <laughs> I, I think it is this. It is to yield ourselves willingly to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God, to His sanctifying work in our lives as He prepares us daily. And as we sow to please the Spirit, I was thinking, what is the outcome of this? That is, our union with Christ is strengthened. Our fellowship with the Father is enhanced. Our lives become increasingly transformed to be more and more like Christ. Our marriages are transformed. Our relationships are transformed. Life is transformed. And as we live under the influence and the power of the Spirit, we experience His joy and His peace. Don't we? I was thinking this morning, I met a lady this morning. She's 83 years old. You know, I meet all kinds of people. And uh, I talk the gospel to this lady this morning. I, thought, I meet her all the time. Today I'll I will talk about the gospel. She's from Croatia. And I said, you know, I'm going to church. Do you believe in God? Of course I do. I said, do you go to church? Yeah, I go to the Croatian church. Good. And I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then she said, yes, the cross. And I said, you know, put, continue to put your faith I won't mention her name. She's 83, lovely lady. She said, uh, my husband's going through all the challenges of health issues. I said, continue to trust in Jesus because he is the only one who has given his life for us. We can't do it by, our, by ourselves. And I came back and I was thinking, Lord, I got to go to church on Sunday. I'm coming to church in a couple hours time. But I need your strength. I can't get onto the pulpit without your strength. I can't leave the service without your strength. I need the power of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit gives us energy. 
Does he not? Gives us spiritual energy. Recharges the battery. Right? And gives us the power and the grace and the strength and the joy and the peace of knowing the living God. A life that is lived under the spirit. What a harvest we have. So if we are sowing to please the spirit from the spirit, we will reap eternal life. Here's the thing, friends. What are you and I sowing today in our lives? And then we have sowing and good deeds as we see here. Very clearly in this passage, 9 and 10. Paul is saying, we are not saved by our good deeds. So don't be, we've established that already. None of us can earn fly-by points to heaven by good deeds. We know that, right? But we do good deeds out of God's grace to us. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't become compassion fatigued while you do good deeds. We are to do good deeds to those around us. Have a look at it. A spirit-filled life, as we sow this, we will also receive a harvest. Here are some practical suggestions. I'm going through this quickly this morning. How can we do some good deeds to those around us? Look around and see how you can sow a good deed in the workplace this week. Would you? or the community you live in and function. Perhaps you can visit an elderly person in a nursing home. Perhaps if you're into baking, are you into baking, slices and cakes and all that? You can send some my way if you want to. No. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that, right? Maybe someone's struggling. Why not bake something and drop something off to that person? Why not send a card with a word of encouragement to someone who is going through a tough time. Why not say to someone, can I pray for you this week? And follow that up with the person. Look around. What are the good deeds that you can do? Not because you want to earn salvation, but, but because God has done a good thing in your life and mine. So have a look around. The harvest, Paul doesn't tell us what the harvest is. The text doesn't tell us anything. Jesus said this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. The harvest might be that God has used you to bring comfort to someone. The harvest might be that he has led you to uh, fulfill someone's need and so someone has come to know Christ. Let us not become weary. A good deed may be used by God to bring about change in lives. So in conclusion, how are we living our lives? The text says here, by good, doing your good deeds as well, but also looking after the, the household of faith, right? Charity begins at home. I won't go into that. We know that. So in conclusion this morning, what kind of seeds are you and I sowing in your life and in mine? Are we sowing for destruction or are we sowing to please the Spirit? Are we sowing and sharing with those around us? Are we sowing with good deeds to those around us as well? The harvest is God's work as we trust Him. And the fact is, all of us, we will reap what we sow. Is that clear? We will reap what we sow. And friends, as time goes on and every year birthdays come along and life moves on, I often think, Lord, how many more days have you got 
for me to live here on earth. I don't know. But as long as we live, let us sow for Christ. And we will reap the harvest of blessing from the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you that you are the God of the harvest. You cannot be mocked. You cannot be ridiculed. We reap what we sow, each of us in our own lives, in whatever sphere it might be, morally and spiritually or physically, whatever, Lord. The principle applies. We pray this morning that we will keep on sowing in the power of the Spirit in our lives. And we look to you, Lord, to bring in the harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.